0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Ah! It's very nice to see you all in your, uh, your fall decor, looking good. <laughs> um, how's everyone feeling this morning? Good, 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 good. All right, well, I, I, I really just wanted to uh, talk about uh, one of my favorite Bible stories with all of you all today. Um, so if you would open up your Bibles to one of my top three favorite books of the Bible, the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. <laughs> now, there's a lot of reasons uh, that Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. One uh, of them is, this is the entire book right here. <laughs> Super short, nice and easy, concise, just four chapters, boom, boom, boom. Um, I also uh, it has a really nice narrative flow. I, I was uh, studying to be an English teacher before God uh, took me away from that and sent me to to ministry school, um, and so I really like just the literary flow. It's very got a nice uh, narrative to it, and I, I there's there's a lot of this in the Bible in different spaces, but I love this because this is. Um, Uh, A lot of the major themes of scripture are apparent in microcosm in lots of different points in scripture. So a lot of God's plans, God's purposes, what God wants to do exists obviously in the whole of the Bible from cover to cover and in the scope of history, but also in microcosm in these little pictures of what he wants to do. And to me, this is one that um, is a lovely, concise picture of something that God wants to do. Does that make sense? cool so we 're going to we 're just going to run through this story real quick i 'm not going to read the whole thing honestly I could though because it 's again super super brief. I encourage you to do so later um, but this one we 're all pretty familiar with, right especially if you went to Sunday school, you might ah, this is the cool one where someone gets eaten by a fish that's that's that 's an exciting story um, so i 'm just going to read the uh, the first verse here um, and i 'm double Bible in it, today, so I'm gonna, we're going to be reading out a couple different versions but uh, Jonah one one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And he came across his desk, and I'm like, let's send somebody there. Uh, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish. I don't know how to pronounce any of these properly, so I'm just going for it, just FYI. Um... Uh, paid the fare and went down in to go to go to them, to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. So he his, gets this word from the Lord, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to cry against them, and he makes a run for it. Now I love this, because this is a well-structured narrative. We don't know why exactly he's running. We don't know exactly what's going on. He hears this word from the Lord, and he bolts. So we know the story from here. He goes, he gets on the ship, the ship gets into a really big storm, the storm is so bad that even these sailors are like, hey, someone is mad on at someone on this ship, which one of us is it. Jonah does own his stuff just a little bit and says, might be me, might have been very specifically running away from the presence of the Lord. In fact, on this very ship. And um, again, I want you to crank your literary brain here just a little bit. He tells them that this is going on. And what is the first reaction of the sailors? If you go into the story, it's not to immediately throw him into the ocean. He actually suggests you should throw me overboard. They say, hey, let's try to row for shore. Let's just, let's just tuck in here somewhere, row for shore, And because we don't really want to throw you off this boat. And they try that. They cannot do it. They, they are incapable of even just pulling into shore to try to let the storm blow out. And so finally, they say, all right, we're going to throw this guy in. And they even let out this prayer of, like, you know, Lord, we don't want this innocent blood on our hands. And so... Uh, And he ends up getting thrown into the ocean, and uh, the the scripture even here says that the Lord appointed a fish to go and eat him where he stayed for three days. And then Jonah, in chapter 2, has this beautiful prayer of kind of repentance, and Lord, please save me, and everything of that nature. We flash forward, and he gets spit out very close to Nineveh, and once again, the Lord helping him with that word a little bit, providing some transportation. You guys are familiar with this story, right? Okay, we're just kind of reviewing from here. And so he gets close to Nineveh, and once again he says, hey, go to Nineveh and proclaim this word. And Jonah is like, mm, okay. I mean, I've been eaten by a fish at this point. What else could I do? And so the city of Nineveh was such a big, such a great city that it actually took three days to walk across it. Like, that's a really big city, especially for this time. and so he walks through. In, in Now, again, I don't know if this is just, you know, them uh, being concise with the language, but it really seems like he's just doing this about halfway uh, as far as his effort is going. He goes on, he says, um, uh, so it takes, uh, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then... <laughs> I, that's all he says. That's the entirety of his word that's recorded in here, anyway. I have to hope that he did a little bit better job than that of walking one day into a three day walk and said, uh, 40 days, bye, you know. But that's all that's recorded here. So, And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. In fact, the king hears it. He's like, puts out a mandate. Everyone put on sackcloth ashes. It's a symbol of mourning, a symbol of repentance, a symbol of I was wrong. Now again, this is kind of interesting because, it, again, as far as it's written here, his word was not very specific. It was this bad thing is going to happen to you, and it later says that the king said, "Hey, maybe if we repent, maybe if we put on these sackcloth and maybe the Lord's wrath will will be, you know, turned away from us." And in fact, even they they even put sackcloth on the animals, which you know, those, those poor cows. So just <laughs> All right, this is, let me put this rough cloth on you. You don't really know why. It's probably not your fault, but we're just going to cover everything. We're going to make sure the cows are covered, too. So Jonah gets through, um, and then uh, so we get down to chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, this uh, uh, is where the story at least for me starts to starts to come together starts to all the little uh threads start to start to come together, And so I, w- I want to read this from the n a s b if i can 't accidentally click the highlight thing before I try to skip the thing um, so oh sorry, my thing is freaking out on me it 's okay go to the next chapter there you go all right, so Jonah is. So this has happened. The city has repented. The city has done the sackcloth and ashes thing. Chapter four, verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was in my own country? Again, we didn't know about this conversation. He's reflecting back to something that we didn't know happened. So this is the reason that he decided to make a run for it said, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a God, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. A little bit of a pity party. (laughs) Um, And then the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Now... Uh, when I was a little kid, I found this part of the story fascinating. Now, partly, I don't want to accuse uh, my past Bible school teachers back when I was in Sunday school. But uh, they would always skip this part of the story when they would teach it to me when I was in Sunday school. They'd just go straight to the, you know, they'd highlight the fish thing, obviously, because that's cool, you know. Um, And then they would go to him prophesying to Nineveh and then Nineveh repenting. And that was just kind of the end of the story as far as how I learned it when I was a little kid. And when I later, you know, started reading the story for myself, I was like, oh, there's this whole other part that's kind of depressing and sad at the end. And why would – see, I – because I only heard that first part of the story – and they don't really make it clear at the beginning. I assumed now now my you know, my Sunday school teacher would talk about how the Ninevites were these wicked people, they had all kinds of sexual immorality and and you know, just badness of all kind. And that he was like, I assumed that he was scared to go to the city, and that's even some of the way that my Sunday school teacher used to present it, is that he was scared to go to this city because they were so wicked and they were gonna like do bad things to him. Anyone ever learn the story that way at all? Okay. You need to have to confront your teachers after this, but um, he very clearly says here, I didn't want to come because I knew that you were going to not destroy them. (laughs) Now, to understand why the heck he's reacting this way, uh, we need to do a very brief history lesson. So I apologize for those of you who are not into that. And say you're welcome to those of you who like that. Um, So Nineveh, at this time, was the capital city of uh, the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrian Empire, according to most historians, was the first true empire. The first large city-state that would actually go conquer other territory and say, this is ours now. Um, Something that became quite popular later in history. But these guys were the first. They were doing it before it was cool. Um, (laughs) And the... (laughs) Now... So the Assyrians uh, were pretty brutal. Like they, they were known, uh, part of the reason for their success was they were really good calculators, they were really good administrators, they were really good at keeping track of things. They had the most, the largest and most effective military in this area at this time. They were really well organized comparatively to, to other places at the time. And so they could very tactically, very strategically, swirl out, kind of fan out and hit these different cities and take them over one by one. Take them under their wing, and uh, by under their wing I mean give me all your stuff <laughs> um, and let me kill you. Um, <laughs> That's usually not what that phrase means, I guess. Take you under your wing, anyway. Um, <laughs> let me take you under my empire, and let me give really harsh punishments, like extremely harsh punishments. Like, let me take all of your women and murder all of your children and put them on pikes in front of your village if you disobey me or don't follow my rules at all. So this is probably something that Jonah lived through. This, uh, the Assyria was actually had invaded Israel at this at this point, so he had probably watched families die to the hands of the Assyrians, this foreign power who would come over and say, hey, you're part of our empire now, and give us all your good stuff, and give us all these things, and if you disobey or don't follow our rules, we will have these extremely harsh punishments for it. Things that they actually celebrated in their own artwork and things like that. They were proud of how harsh and strict their punishments were. And so you have to understand, like this was a, a, to put it in (laughs) other terms, like, This was the the evil empire. These were the Darth Vader bad guys. And these were the good people who were were being oppressed by what was going on. That was at least the perspective, I'm sure, of the Israelites at the time. Does that make sense? So this is not just a city that's big into sinning. This is not just a city that has exceeding wealth and and has all these bad practices. This is a city that is violently conquering and attacking and pillaging not only the Israelites, but all kinds of places all around. Nobody liked them because they were taking over everywhere. Super violently. They had the largest empire at that time. So you can maybe understand... If Jonah was a little bit hesitant and maybe why he was upset of, actually, I was kind of hoping that you were giving me a word so that they would get destroyed. Because these are literally our oppressors that you are sending me to. Um, just to paint this picture just a, a little bit more thoroughly, this is something that culturally we have a, a very... Uh, impersonal lens toward. Um, Some of that is just purely geographical. Uh, I'm assuming that most of you in here live in the United States of America. If not, welcome. Um, But uh, purely geographically, the United States has been the the most powerful country on its continent for the majority of its existence. Um, Pretty much all of its existence. And there are large bodies of water separating us from Many other, many of the other powers. This is something that was advantageous in World War One, World War II, and all of all of American history. Most major wars have happened far, far, far away from our soil. That's just a purely geographic thing. We do not have the experience of there is another dangerous country right by us that can just walk in and just take stuff. And also, we're living in a modern society where that doesn't quite happen as much. Um, but this, this was the can you imagine the fear of I'm in this small town or this even this medium-sized town And I hear about these people who just come roving in with these huge siege engines that are hugely organized. I probably only have like a little small militia, like a small volunteer police force in my town. And these people with these huge siege engines that were way more advanced than anything else at the time, these super organized marching armies just come rolling up, knock over our walls, take all our stuff, give us all these rules, and punish anyone extremely harshly the second they do that. And that could just happen at any time. And they often would come back just whenever for tribute to be paid. And they would take, hey, all the stuff that you've been personally working on to feed your family up for the winter. Yeah, we would love to have that at the king's feast tonight. So we're going to take all of that right now. And if you try to resist, we're just going to murder you. So, um, thankfully, that's something we don't have a very personal perspective on, which is a good thing. But it starts to become a little bit more uh, empathetic why this is such a personal and hard thing for Jonah, These are, this is the capital of the place where this is being happened. These are the people who are ordering this to happen. This is the system that is that is uh, causing all this to happen. And the Lord is telling him to go right into the middle of it and do something that he knows is going to save them from God's judgment against them. So it's possible to have a little bit more empathy for Jonah when we understand a little bit more about what was going on historically at the time um i 'm going to pause here and just draw a picture for a moment. We are called to some really high things in scripture, some really high ideals, and like I said, a lot of these high ideals, these high principles, these these deep and powerful things are echoed at numerous points throughout scripture in different ways, from the personal level to to the to a large uh, historical level um, One of those ideals is to love our enemies, is to love the world, is to actually love, bless those who curse us. And I I want us to be, um, I would love to, one of the things I want to challenge you all with today is even though we don't live in this ex- extreme of a point of history or this this kind of extreme point of history, we don't live this kind of extreme lifestyle where there is someone who is very practically and literally an enemy that might roll in and kill half of us and steal all of what we have, um, we still have the challenge of loving our enemies. And I don't want the difference, uh, the disparity between the severity of what an enemy looks like to cause us to grow soft in our ability to show love and recognize when we are being invited into a moment to love an enemy again I, I took a little time to draw this picture, but Jonah had really good reasons you know again we don 't know the personal reasons, but it 's easy to assume even if noth- even if he didn 't lose anything personally, undoubtedly his people and the place that he lived was affected by the way the Assyrian Empire ruled at at that time, and so it's easy to understand why he would not want God to release something good, to release forgiveness, to release salvation to the Assyrians. Um, I want this to be something that's taking the temperature of our heart, and I'm going to show you why in a moment. But if there are people, people groups, or entities where it tweaks you when something good happens to them, that might be an area where you would start to, check to see if the you are seeing those people those entities or those places through the love of god um all right i'm going to dig a little bit deeper um uh, oh okay i'm choosing uh, Where to poke. Um. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you get upset when something negative happens to say, or when something good happens in, say, the Democratic Party, if you get upset when something good happens there, you might not be viewing them with the love of God. don't poke me there (laughs) poke me in somewhere where that's like somewhere where I want to love people that'd be great (laughs) if you get upset when something good happens to someone who's already wealthy who's already blessed who already has something that you wish you had and something even more better happens to them it might be a place that you're missing out on the love of God Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, 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 the original metaphor there is, do not allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world. When you press clay into a mold, it accommodates the shape of the mold that it's being pressed into. Do not let your what is happening in this world teach you how to be. <laughs> um, do not let the normal human reaction of, these people are bad and are doing things that affect me negatively, that I disagree with, that I think is bad, that I think is wrong, affect my hope for their salvation and restoration. And I, I will want to uh, challenge you that we, we this is something that is, I believe, in a godly way becoming more nuanced. Like, again, this is very, this is relatively black and white. You know, this is people who have come and murdered my my friends and family. Uh, it is, gets more nuanced when it's people who disagree with God, who don't uh, speak godly truth, who don't believe, have the same moral values that I have, and the lines of what it looks like to maintain truth, Jonah's not pulling punches, he's saying there is, there is judgment for what you're doing, but in his heart, the resistance is that he doesn't want something good to happen to someone who has caused so much bad. And I don't want our Christianese language, our, our, our consistent speaking of these values to cloud our perspective into heaping coals of blessing, not in a loving way, but in a malicious way. In a way that is still in our heart, uh, angry and upset at those people. I, I'm trying to hit this point clearly because I want you to understand what I'm going to next, which is why. Because God doesn't want us, there's lots of reasons that God wants us to love our enemies, to, to, to embody this kind of love. I mean, the basis, most basic reason is that it is his nature. He wants us to be like him. But it's deeper than that. It has more purpose than that. It has more function than that. It has more intentionality behind it. And I don't want any of us to miss out on what God has when we will allow ourselves to engage in the grindstone of loving our enemies. Be they big impersonal ones that are groups and entities or be they personal ones with people who have wronged us, people who have deceived us, people who have tricked us, people who have hurt us, people who have not loved us the way we wanted to be loved and all of those things in between. If we can actually genuinely not just throw a blanket of I'm supposed to love on it but let our heart be engaged with actually being transformed, there's something powerful that can happen. I love the book of Jonah because this is a story of God discipling a city while he's also discipling one of his sons. He's discipling a city by sending a son to go declare repentance and truth. And he's discipling a son saying, please catch my heart. And I love the literary motif of what happens next. And you guys, I'm sure are familiar with the story, but I want to go through it one more time. So again... Jonah's upset. He says, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I, I was just telling you this before. When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord pray, pray, replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah does not give an answer. He stomps out of the city, builds a shelter. And sits there, hoping that the city's going to blow up <laughs> wants a front row seat. <laughs> I love the way the Bible puts it, and he said uh in the n a s b it says the Lord uh appointed a leafy plant to grow. I love the idea that that plant had a destiny. God sent that plant on a destiny. He appointed that plant to grow there next to jonah that's <laughs> It's cool. <laughs> Um, uh, now I lost my place. made so. Then the Lord God uh, appointed a leaf plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. <laughs> 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 Me. <laughs> but at dawn the next day, God provided, God appointed a worm. I also like this. This worm had an assignment. He had a job. <laughs> his job was to eat this plant. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided. uh, uh, Oh, excuse me. God appointed a scorching wind, (laughs) and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, "It would be better for me to die than to live." But God said to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" "It is," he said. (laughs) "And I am so angry that I wish I were dead." (laughs) This is a great book of the Bible. This is so good. So (laughs) Uh, uh, again. the way this story is te- told um it's there's historical context to it but there's also prophetic context to it the, the, the city, God, they reference the Assyrian empire directly in different parts of the Bible when, when addressing the Assyrian empire. They address Nineveh specifically here because Nineveh is specifically known as being the pinnacle, the representation of everything that Assyria was. The, the wealth, the grandeur, the sexual immorality, that's where the military strategy came from. This was the pinnacle of all these things. It is repeatedly used throughout scripture as a motif for all of the bad things. All of the bad things. <clears throat> so anyway, he's so angry that he wishes he was dead. Um, and I know this is feels like exaggerated; it feels melodramatic. He feels like a you know, like a fourteen-year-old who's whining out there on on the beach, you know, in the, in the sand. Especially stories like that are presented in this way. You have experienced, and I have experienced, emotions where I was so upset about something that I wanted some kind of oblivion. I may not literally say it that way, that I wish I were dead, but we feel that feeling of oblivion, of deep darkness, because we are so upset about something that happened. Have you guys ever experienced that? Okay. If you haven't, you might go to a counselor to see where that is. But anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Don't forget those animals. <laughs> they wore the sackcloth too, so, <laughs> you know, again, literary consistency. I love it. Um cares about the animals? Um, Since the beginning of civilization, God has been sending sons to cities. Egypt was the center of culture, was the center. uh, It wasn't necessarily a conquering empire the way that Assyria was later, but it it was this, this center of culture, of architecture, of intelligence, of mathematics. And the Lord sent a son named Joseph there to gain favor, to, be, to rise to the right hand of Pharaoh, to release influence, to save that city from a calamity that was coming, a great famine. Later, he sent Jonah to Assyria, to the capital of Assyria, to prevent a calamity by releasing his goodness there. Jonah was less into it than Joseph was. Jonah misunderstood Now, to be fair, Jonah had a lot more weight to go on. At that time, the Israelites didn't become slaves to the Egyptians until after Joseph. And so they didn't have that cultural weight necessarily. They weren't necessarily enemies. They were just another country at that point. So in this moment of, ah, these people make me angry. These people hurt me. These people are against me. Jonah missed it. Uh, Not too long after this, a couple hundred years after this, the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians. Another empire where God sent a son to go and stand by a king. And that son, whose name was Daniel, got it. Because when another word of calamity came against the king of Babylon, he said, oh my king, I wish that this was for your enemies. I wish that this word of, of judgment, this word of correction, this word of calamity was for your enemies. Now Daniel had been kidnapped by the Babylonians. Daniel had experienced the Babylonians were not quite as murdery as the Assyrians were, so maybe that's part of it, but they, they were still pretty murdery, let me tell you the truth, um, uh, it's all in the history books if you want to read about that, but they, they they were slightly less murdering, but they were still kidnapping people and and displacing people. This is uh, the Assyrians actually started this of taking people groups from one place to another, so they would kind of disassociate from their families and connections, so that they would just kind of assimilate into the Assyrian Empire more readily. And since this only identity was this one that they had been given, um, and so the Babylonians kept doing that as well. And even though he had been displaced, even though he had been kidnapped as a young man, Daniel still was saw the assignment that God had for him and loved this foreign, wicked, uh, ungodly king and recognized that it, he, was, he had been placed there to release the glory and light of God's kingdom into this place and he had influenced the entirety of that man's life. I love the book of Jonah because it is a microcosm of God's desire to send sons to cities to release restoration, to release healing, to release his goodness. And it is a perfect picture of how we can miss out on the benefit of that by not falling in love with the places that we are being sent and the people that we are being sent to. It's a picture, another microcosm of his ultimate plan to send a son to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That he would create disciples that were like him, that would be many sons sent to many cities. Since the beginning of time, God has been sending sons to empires, to rulers, to kings. He sent Paul to Rome. He sent, he sent the disciples to, to Jerusalem. He sent, again, he sent uh, Joseph to Egypt, and and so on and so forth. He sends sons to cities to release His glory, to reveal His truth. But again and again and again, we see that if there can't be love for that place, that it actually undermines our ability to release His glory there. Not agreement. There's clear correction and, and again, Daniel may, remained so true to who he was when he was in, in Babylon to the point that some of his buddies got thrown into a furnace. Um, there were still boundaries. It's not just assimilating and agreeing and, and all of that. But there was genuine love. Again, it was about what his heart, where it, the state of his heart. And, again, with Jonah, it's about the state of his heart. I love this story of of Jonah because the way God is trying to disciple this son of his into seeing what he's seeing at this moment is he's trying to show him like just the base value of people. He said there's people in there, even if they're causing all these problems, even though, again, this is a weird thing that he says. They don't know their right hand from the left. They don't know what they're doing is kind of the implication there. The Assyrian Empire was, at the time, some of the most intelligent. They, they again, and, and tactically and things like that, was part of what made them so overwhelming to people around them. Was they were so organized and well put together. It's God saying that even though they have these trappings of organization and detail and structure, they don't, they, they don't really know who they are. They don't know who they really are. So you, you, understanding this can help you disconnect from this personal hatred and start to engage in just the base value of there are people in that city. There are people in that city. Now, again, this is so easy for us to do because we have never experienced anything like what he, he experienced. And, but this is so true. Anytime we feel that, that feeling, that feeling that we, as Christians, we learn to suppress, we learn to push away, we learn to throw away of Hate of disliking someone, of being so angry at someone that you want something bad to happen to them or you don't want something good to happen to them. A feeling that we suppress when in actuality God wants to heal it. God wants to heal it. And I think that sometimes when we suppress those things, we actually undermine God's ability to say, hey, you hate that person. Let me disciple you through that. Let me I mean, the, the mercy of God, I mean, it's funny because this is like a story about judgment. This is one of the most merciful stories in all of scripture because he sends a son to this evil empire, to the heart of this evil empire to bring restoration because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that even if he gives a, a, a half, half done a prophetic word one day into a three day journey and walks out, they're going to hear the voice of God and respond. He knows that that's going to happen. And not only that, he also wants to disciple his son into understanding what he's doing, to being able to actually engage with what he's doing and partner with what he's doing. And this this gets into speculation a little bit, but in, in, in many ways, Assyria was the model of thousands of years of empire that came up that came through, a a season that ended relatively recently, a season that ended kind of with the British Empire. God wanted to influence imperial culture at its very root. He sent a son to go do it, to go influence imperial culture. That son drug his feet the whole way. I wonder how different our history would be if that son let himself be discipled by the Lord and instead engage in the destiny. This this is a model that, again, I, uh, I can't get into all the historical stuff, but literally this model was carried through for thousands and thousands of years of how to create an empire, how to conquer other countries. And it's, um man, I don't have time to get into all of it, but it, it, is, a, it is a painful scar in human history, the effects of imperialism throughout many, many cultures in many places. Uh, no, okay, lots of implications. Anyway, read your history books. They're awesome. Um, so... The the Assyrians were the beginning of how records were kept, of how history was kept. The Egyptians did did some of it. The Sumerians before that did did a little bit, but these guys were kind of some of the 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 roots of of the way that records were kept. Detailed records were kept about how life happened, about how history happened. They. Uh, Many of the first pieces of literature were found in uh, Assyrian cities, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and things like that. Like the first stories, the first novels, basically, the first early books. Like this was a root. This this civilization was a root from mountains of culture that would come afterwards. And God sent a son to go release a word from him into that place, and that son dragged his feet the whole way because he could not see with a lens of love. He had a good reason to. He had a history that made a lot of sense why he would not want to do this thing. He had good reason to think. (coughs) He he probably would have celebrated if the word from the Lord is like, hey, I'm going to blow up Assyria. Hooray, I'm saved. My salvation, the very thing I was praying for, the very breakthrough. (coughs) that I was hoping for has come. Yay, this is so awesome. He must have been so confused when he said, hey, I want you to go save the city. I know this can be a little bit heavy, but I... I you being transformed into God's likeness has civilizational implications, has historical implications. There are things that God is setting into root now that we can't even possibly imagine or see in our future. There are things that the very roots of are so small right now that you can't begin to see how, how many generations will be affected by what you do, what you think, and what you say. And if we do not have the lens of love, the trust of God to, to, to follow what he's saying, to see what he's seeing, we will miss out on our opportunity to contribute to the way the Lord wants to release His history. I'm just going to say this briefly. I I had a vision once. I was I was having kind of a bad day, and um, I I sometimes just get in my head about certain things. You know, it happens. Um, uh, sometimes that goes great. Sometimes not so great, uh, and. I was just thinking, I was in, and so this is a little bit vulnerable, so I'm sorry if this messes your brains up or things, but um, um, I was just in one of those spaces of just having a conversation in my head about like, how come bad things happen? You know, God, you're all powerful. God, you're good. What about this person who was attacked when they were a child? What about this situation? What about that situation? What about the people that are, what about, you know, I, And this, it was for like a week. I was just stuck in this place of like, well, what about this? What about that? I, I believe that you're good. I don't doubt that. I've seen too much of who you are to doubt that. I believe that you're good. I believe it, but I, I I see these so many places of pain that are existing right now. I'm sitting down for dinner, and I'm thinking about how many children are starving right now. I'm I'm uh, getting in my my you know uh, my nice car where I get to you know drive my children to to school, and I'm thinking how many how many people would have a shelter if I instead gave this money to those people for that, and just all these things going through my head, you know, of 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 man, there's so much. Darkness in the world, and then just going down to the base of like, God, why don't you just do something? Why don't you just say something? Why don't you just solve something? And I just saw this picture, and it was it was a picture that was simple, but the weight of it uh was crushing in in a good way. <laughs> of I, I I saw a vision of all this darkness, of every darkness that I, I had conceived, and ones that I had not even thought of, ones that I hadn't even considered. And I saw it all laid out. And I could feel the Lord's heart breaking. I could hear the Lord weeping over the pain, over the suffering, over, over every individual and also as, as groups and people groups. And I could feel his, his just that his pain was so much greater than mine. His, his suffering over it, his, his heart for it, his compassion for it was so much greater than, than even a pain that I could even possibly experience. And I watched... And felt as that pain and compassion and that that willingness to be present in the in people's darkest moments, in people's places of greatest pain, as I felt this sense of relief come over his heart, and I thought, what is he doing? Is he moving in there? Is he is he just supernaturally shabam, you know, stopping this this thing? And my head turned, and I saw. Sons and daughters walking towards these different places in the earth. I saw sons and daughters marching towards children who had been abandoned. I saw sons and daughters walking towards the sick. I saw sons and daughters building, researching, studying ways to attack poverty, to, to undermine poverty and release wholeness and health to people. I saw him sending these sons and daughters, and I realized that he had put, rather than what In that moment, and I wish I could articulate it more clearly or or, or more succinctly, but in that moment I realized that this plan of him sending sons and daughters to cities was even better than if he snapped his fingers and all that stuff was just gone. I can't put it into language, I can't, uh, maybe someday I will be able to, but... That it was so much better that he sent sons and daughters to release solutions, to help people, to lift individuals and also lift systems. That it was so much better than if he just snapped his fingers and poof, that stuff went away. If we can't see through the lens of his love, then it's too easy to try to, pull away from painful places, to ignore them. It's too easy to get lost in every direction of should I sell my car, should I sell my house, should I sell my shoes to give to the poor. It's it's too easy, to, but even then that would, you know, I'd be, be throwing everything I have into a pit that doesn't even fill it, you know, one inch. What, what, it's too easy to get lost in either end of it, of completely ignoring it and pulling away and, and, being conformed to the pattern of this world of pulling away from pain, pulling away from from people that have hurt me, pulling away from from problems that's, that hurt me just by looking at them. But when I'm moved by love, it's easy to trust God and just do my part of what he's called me to do. You know, most people teach the book of Jonah, so at least again, the, the, the way that I've heard it often, most people teach the book of Jonah as a book about obedience. Um... Which I always thought was kind of funny, because it's a book about not obedience, um, and God just kind of doing it anyway. <laughs> um, I started <laughs> seeing it, and I realized—and maybe maybe teachers who are smarter than me already knew this—that this isn't a book about obedience of of action, because basically Jonah fails out on every front. <laughs> And even still, this doesn't even seem to be fully what God's getting at. Like, this is about obedience of heart. This is about obedience of heart, and that's that's the picture. I've, I've said this before, but it's just so important that we sink this into our heart. One of the biggest strongholds in in our area with regard to religion is that we're scared to make a mistake or to get the rule wrong or to that we have this. Uh, Fear of pleasing God with our actions. It is very important that we please God with our actions. Actions matter a lot. Actions speak louder than words. All all these things. But actions are rooted in our heart. And when we align our heart with him, our actions just follow our heart. It's really simple. It doesn't have to be this big, complex thing. It doesn't have to be this teeth-gritting resistance. When our our heart is led by him, our actions just follow. Our attitudes just follow. Everything else just follows. Trying to make our actions align with a heart that we don't have is exhausting, and will make you want to be dead at the end, turns out. (laughs) That's what Jonah was doing. He's trying to force his actions to be obedient to God. And it made him want to be dead out in front of a book, out in front of a city that he was hoping would blow up. I, I love my favorite thing, and I, this annoys some people, but I, I love the the open ending to this book because it just ends with. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. That's it. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know what happens to Nineveh. We, historically, we know what happened, but we, we don't know. This, this story is just left open, and many times in movies and books and, and Literary motifs that go back to even before this time. When someone leaves an an obscure ending or an open ending, it's because it's not about what the story is. It's not about what the conclusion is. It's about the question that the story is asking you. And the question the story is asking you is can you fall in love with the places that you are called? Can you fall in love with the people around you? Can you recognize the base value of every person around you? Hey, even the animals too. Can you recognize that there is inherent value, there is something worth loving, there is something worth dying for? Can you remember that when someone betrays you, when someone steals from you, when someone hurts you, when someone tells a lie about you, when someone does something bad to one of your kids, when someone does, when someone, uh, when your teacher, when when one of the school teachers says your kid is dumb or something, I don't know, I'm just rambling now, but they... When that moment comes that we sometimes suppress enough that we don't even recognize it exists, but when we want harm to come to someone and don't want any good to come to them, when that feeling of hate comes up, for whatever reason, will we let the Lord speak to that and transform it? Not just by our actions. Yes, our actions are so important but let him change our heart so that our so that we don't have to force our actions so that we don't have to suppress and control our actions but our actions can actually flow out of a heart that is in love with the people around us that is in love with people that have harmed us that is in love with our cities and i think that when we can do that the phone will ring <laughs> <laughs> Um I think that if we can do that, then we can have a different story than Jonah had, where we can it, again, I know not, not everyone's as nerdy as I'm about these things, but just take a little look at how much Assyrian culture has influenced the foundation of the society that you live in today, and remember that God sent a son to the very root of that place to release his kingdom. And remember that you are a son, you are a daughter who is being sent to the very root of, these, of, of systems, of cultures, of environments. And your actions and your beliefs will influence what those things grow into. It's obvious when we look at our children, it's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. So if you would just stand with me for a second, I'm just gonna pray for you briefly. And if you would just for me just put your hands out in front of you. Lord, right now I just I just release um <laughs> this is a slightly dangerous prayer, so duck if you don't want it. Um <clears throat> Lord, I release a softness, a compassion, and a revol- and a vulnerability to your heart, Lord. That that we would be able to be in tune with how we are feeling. That we would not out of out of religious duty out out of religious duty that it's in that is intended to pursue holiness that we would not suppress things that you wish to bring up and address that we would not um, because we don't want to believe that we have negative emotions towards individuals or negative emotions towards groups or negative emotions towards specific areas that we would not suppress the recognition that you have something to say about the way that we think about those areas the way that we address those areas the way that we relate to those people's that we would be open-hearted and tender-hearted to you lord that we would not that we would not be like Jonah who is just suppressing our emotions and obeying because we know that we are obligated to but that we would let you disciple us and transform our heart lord I release the truth, the recognition that even when this this story couldn't have been more messy, where, where the Assyrian Empire couldn't be a more pagan, a more uh, uh, suppressive, a more, uh, in many ways, hateful group, that you still had compassion on them and wanted to release a discipling and healing upon them, Lord. And that even when a son is dragging his feet, is ignoring, is just wanting to do what he wants to do, and is resisting this whole thing, that still the whole time, from the beginning to the end, you are walking him through it, you are inviting him in, you are not rejecting him, you are not casting him aside for his disobedience, you actually pull him closer into his destiny, and I release that truth right now, that lie, that by our disobedience, that by running from our destiny, we've somehow missed it, or skipped it, or ruined it, that is, that is not the nature of our God he pulls us close, he uses <laughs> he knows who we are, and he knows what we 're called to, and he knows how to get us to where we go, but what he 's after is our heart, and I just release that revelation that he is after our heart, he is after what 's inside, and I release a grace right now in the name of Jesus to allow our hearts to be transformed by him and recognize when we are being conformed by the pattern of this world, when we are being pressed into a mold. Of, of reaction, of suspicion, of fear, of self-preservation, and recognize instead how we can engage with you and your heart for ourselves, for the people around us, and the places that we are called. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.